The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Uh, we are in a, a series called Mr. and Mrs. <coughs> and we started this uh, last week. And so we're kind of just going to dive in for a few weeks and look at relationships, uh, particularly uh, here at LCC. More, than, more, than of, uh, more often than not, we tend to walk through books uh, of the Bible where we can. And so next uh, term... Uh, we're going to be actually walking through 2 Timothy uh, for eight weeks. So I'm going to just encourage you, if you want to get reading that, we're going to spend eight weeks walking through uh, that particular book of the Bible, which is a really, really encouraging word at the end of Paul's life. Uh, he's kind of finishing his race. He's ending his life. He's trying to set this, this leader in this particular church up well. So we're going to do what we can to, to learn from that. Um, but up until then, we're going to be looking at relationships. And last week, we kicked off the idea of design, that Uh, God is this incredible, creative, uh, purposeful God who makes us. He creates us. And particularly in the Christian worldview and according to the Bible, He makes us uniquely male and female. And so sort of through this this series, we kind of had this overarching thing that we want to reinforce every week is that um, we want to do three things when it comes to relationships. One, we want to think clearly. So we want to We want to sort of say, okay, what does the Bible say? What does Scripture say? If you're in the room and you're a Christian, we are supposed to take our cues from Scripture, not culture. And we are inundated with ways of thinking constantly. You are hearing more and more and more of what to think from culture, from pop culture, than you are anything else. And so it's really important for those of us who are Christians that we look to the Bible and go to Scripture and say, what does it say? What does it mean by what it says? And so we want to think clearly. Then we said we want to follow joyfully. That is where the Bible speaks clearly. We want to humbly and joyfully submit because we trust God's good plan. That God doesn't just design things a certain way because he's mean. He doesn't, like we sort of use the example of a fish. He doesn't just make a fish and say, I've made you for water because I'm trying to hold back from you and not allow you to experience land. God makes us a certain way. He designs us a certain way. And because he is good, his design for our lives is good. And so where the Bible speaks clearly, we want to humbly and joyfully obey. And then thirdly, we want to act compassionately. That is to say that everybody is on a journey. Not everybody holds to everything as clearly according to the scriptures as others do. We have people in the room and if you are here and you're not a Christian, we want to welcome you today and say welcome to our church. We hope that you are able to feel free to be yourself in this place and to feel a sense of belonging even before you necessarily have to believe everything that we believe. And so we want to act compassionately. We want to give people time and space to kind of get on this journey and to trust God. And so last week we looked at the design and how God made us, that God, yes, he made us the same in one sense, that we are humans, but he also made us male and female. And those are distinct. Those uh, are not non-binary things. They are distinct things that we are supposed to be males and men and fathers and husbands and brothers. And we're supposed to be female and we're supposed to be mothers and wives and sisters, and those things are different. And we want to celebrate those differences. We want to sort of enjoy the differences rather than trying to flatten everything out and try to be the same. God actually hasn't made us to be the same. And that's a good thing. Because trust me, if it was just me and my dudes, it would go real bad. So we are so glad that you ladies are here because you really up our game. 
I always love young fellas who, you know, they get their first car and that car is a mess. That thing stinketh. That thing has got Macca's cups and fries packets and all sorts of crap. And then he gets a girl. That thing is clean. And I'm like, thank the Lord. This is what's going to happen to my son. He's going to, one day he's going to get his own car and I'm going to be like, clean your car, wash your car. Dude, step up the game. And he will not listen to me. But he will find himself a girl and he will lift up his game. I mean, the fact that I am not like dressed as an absolute dag today is pure credit that I have a wife who I'm afraid of. And I fear her wrath, and so I dress as best I can to make sure that she will still remain married to me. So, I want to give us four things today that I think the Bible uh, can help us with in terms of healthy relationships, uh, particularly as we consider the idea of building on healthy foundations. And so, if you do have a Bible, I want to encourage you to open that to Genesis 24. We're going to use this story of Isaac and Rebecca a little bit um, as sort of just some, um, I think the primary point of this story is not to show us how to have good relationships. I think the primary purpose of this story is to show us how to have faith in God. But I think in there we see this beautiful picture of what it looks like to follow some of the ways that God has for relationships. And so we're going to look at four things today. I've called them four M's of healthy relationships. Here we go. Number one, master. Who we worship. So if you're going to look at an important ingredient to developing and experiencing healthy relationships, the primary thing that you want to think through is who is your master? That is, who is it? What is it that you worship? And here's the thing. Every single human being worships. You cannot get away from worshiping. Now, some of us, our view of worship is kind of, what we did about 10 minutes ago where we sing a few songs and some of us kind of are happy to raise up here. Some of us are like, uh-uh, I ain't raising nothing. I'm standing here like this. But we are singing to a God and often we'll say that that's worship. The Bible has a very, very bigger picture of what it means to worship. It's not just a 20-minute segment where we sing a few songs. To worship God means that you find value, dignity, worth, purpose, meaning you are defined by God. All of your life is being drawn to something. You are finding your sense of identity. You're finding your sense of direction and purpose from something or someone. This is the thing that is your master. It is directing you. It is defining you. The Christian worldview says the thing that defines us, the thing that directs us is not even a thing. It's a person named God. Yahweh, that He made us, that He loves us, and we want to put all preeminence, the most important thing is Him. That we are made by God and we are made for God and our whole lives are moving towards placing value and worth onto God. Now we live in a very confused age. I'm 42, I think, turning 43. When you get over a certain age, you don't remember but I'm somewhere in the 40s, just go with middle-aged man, okay? Things have changed significantly from when I was 20 years old. I thought it was hard to be a Christian when I was 20. Things have shifted in the last 10 years significantly. And our culture is really, really mixed up. And it's like, if you look at the cultural worldview, even, even the worldview in which our culture holds is confused, Our culture does not know whether to say relationships are everything or nothing. That sex is everything or it's nothing. 
Our culture doesn't know, it doesn't have a steady, solid ground, a firm foundation to which to live on. And so it's constantly building upon sand, which has to continually be reinvented. And so the Bible says, listen, come to God, find a sure and steady foundation for who you are and whose you are in God. And so what happens when you don't find yourself on a steady foundation is you reinvent the wheel. This is how G.K. Chesterton puts it. He says this, he says, let us say, for the sake of simplicity, a fence or gate is erected across the road. The more modern type of reformer goes galley up to it and says, I don't see the use of this, let us clear it away. To which the more intelligent type of reformer will do well to answer. If you don't see the use of it, I certainly won't let you clear it away. Go away and think. Think clearly. Go away and think. Then when you can come back and tell me that you do see the use of it, I may allow you to destroy it. He goes on to say this paradox rests on the most elementary common sense. The gate or fence did not grow there. He goes on to say that a, a person who is sleepwalking didn't make it or a person who's left an asylum and is losing their mind didn't put up the fence. Some person had some reason for thinking it would be a good thing for somebody. And until we know what the reason was, we really cannot judge whether the reason was reasonable. It is extremely probable that we have overlooked some whole aspect of the question. If something was set up by human beings like ourselves, it seems to be entirely meaningless or mysterious. So our culture doesn't necessarily come from a Christian worldview. And there it's, therefore, it's asking all sorts of questions as to why is this thing here? And if we don't know why it's here, we can remove it. And so let's remove it. And so what we're finding is our culture is actually becoming less secure this is the most insecure time I've seen in my lifetime of 42 and a bit middle-aged years. We don't have a solid foundation. We're more depressed. We're more anxious. And everything that we're trying to deconstruct is actually hurting culture. It's not helping. One of the reasons is, is because we've decided to say that God is no longer our master. That we are our own masters. And the Bible would say, don't do that. Let God be your master. Let the one who made you define you. Let the one who made you determine how you are to live your life and follow him. Trust him. So we see this in Genesis 24. Verse 2, it starts off like this. This is speaking of Abraham who's looking for a wife for his son. And, and just, just as a way of reference, there is a, a whole lot of contextual stuff here. We're probably not going to go about relationships exactly the same way because we're not living in an ancient culture. But principally, there's some really helpful things here. Verse 2 says, And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. Now, I'm not planning on doing that with anybody ever. <clears throat> that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of earth. Where have we seen that before? Last week, that's the very, very beginning of the story. In the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. So what's he saying? Hey, I, I want you to swear by Yahweh. I want to swear by God that you will take uh, not a wife, not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and my kindred and take a wife for my son. Verse 12, it goes on to say that this particular servant who is looking for a wife for... Um, Abraham's son, he says, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, 
What's he doing? He's praying to, to Yahweh. God, I've got this big responsibility to go and find a wife. Now, I'm really glad that that's not my job for my son. Okay, he can do that himself. That's good because the pressure's off me, pressure's on him. But there's a sense of he's feeling a bit of weight there. I want to do a good job here. And so what is he doing? He's going to his maker. He's going to his master and he's praying. We see this later on in verse 50, that the father and brother of Rachel, who is going to be the wife, it says, Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, This thing has come from the Lord. So this servant goes up and kind of has this interaction and he's asking the parents, he's asking the family, will you allow her to marry this person? And they're sitting over here and they're discerning. This seems to be God's plan. This seems to be Yahweh's will. And we want to follow that. God is our master. And then when Isaac is introduced later in the story, we see that Isaac is in the field. And what is he doing? Verse 63, Isaac went out to meditate in the field towards evening. Isaac is a man who's praying to Yahweh. He's experiencing a relationship with God. If you want to have healthy relationships, whether they're maritable, marital, whether they're just friendship, the most important ingredient is God. Who is your master? Who is your foundation? Who is central to your relationship? And this is a common thread throughout this entire chapter. I encourage you to go and read it. It is faith. It is prayer. It is discerning and following God's will. Abraham, why is he concerned with the fact that this this servant would not find a, a wife from the Canaanites, but from his own people? This is Abraham saying, I don't want to have a spouse for my son who worships a different God. In our country, irreconcilable differences is the number one given reason for divorce. Under that, you can kind of break it down to financial pressure. You can, you can have conflict when it comes into to family stuff. But ultimately, the biggest issue is we don't have two people worshipping the same God. Because when two people worship the same God, you can come together. You can unify because you're unifying around the same person named Yahweh all throughout the story all the characters are praying all the characters are seeking God and God wants us to experience deep and meaningful unified relationships and God says you were made by me you were made for me so don't even prioritize the relationship prioritize me make me the priority of your relationship if two people can find God as their master, then two people can find their value, their dignity, their worth, their significance, their purpose, their meaning, their security, their identity, all in God. And it doesn't matter what happens on the outside. It doesn't matter what comes to shake that foundation. It's no longer built on sand. It's built on a rock. So now we can enter into a relationship from a place of security, not insecurity. This is so important to how we do relationships. And this matters even in our friendships, right? I have a ton of non-Christian friends who Carly and I deeply love. But there is a level of unity that we can get to with our non-churched people, unchurched, non-Christian friends. We just we can't get there in the same way that we can with other brothers and sisters because there is a spiritual unity that can only come by following the same God. So singles in the room, make this your highest priority. While you are single, follow Jesus and go after Jesus. Don't even make the girl or the guy more important than him. Never do that. For those of us who are married, 
Let's keep fighting for that. In this, in this time for our, our family, I'm married, I have four kids. I'm tempted to make Carly more of a priority than God and my four children who definitely want to be more of a priority than God. I just tell them, no, you are not the priority. I am the priority. <laughs> number two. So that's the master. Number two is the make, who we are. The Bible sort of tells us, the Christian worldview tells us that when we know whose we are, we are able to know who we are. We can find a secure footing, a solid foundation to build our lives from rather than the sand. And so there's a few things that the Bible has to say that I think are helpful to know who we are. The first two are going to seem negative, but they're actually helpful to know and acknowledge. And our culture doesn't want to do it because our culture starts from a place of insecurity. It hates to accept anything that could be damaging to my own identity, right? But the first thing is that we are limited beings. Because we are created beings and not uncreated, we are limited There is only so much we can do as a human to a human. This is really, really important. Because if my wife looks at me and says he's the unlimited being who is going to fulfill me, complete me, thanks Jerry Maguire, guess what she's going to feel? Excitement, because I always do that. No, she's going to feel disappointment. So as we're entering into marriage, if she's looking to me to be the one who completes me, Then when we get married, she's like, you really don't complete me. You frustrate me. You annoy me. Where's the complete me? And vice versa, what ends up happening is you actually become really, really disappointed in your relationship because you had an expectation there would be something that they could never be or you crush the other person who can never measure up. This is why we must get the master first. Because God is the one who completes us. God is the one who fills us. God is the one who gives us all the things that we need as human beings. And then on on top of that, and as a part of that, He gives us a spouse, if we're blessed by God to have one, that would come and sort of participate and be a part of that. But ultimately, we must not look to each other to be the ones that complete us. God will do that. Don't find your identity in another person. Find your identity in Jesus. Then now you are secure to have a relationship with somebody else. Number two, we're not only limited beings, but we're broken beings. That is to say that sin has entered into our world. Sin has entered into the the concept and the context in which we find ourselves, which means not only am I limited, but I'm broken, which means when I walk into and kind of move into this space of relationship, I'm not just bringing the good things, I'm bringing the broken things. And again, if there is this expectation that this other person is going to be perfect and without error and it's going to complete us, we're going to get so disappointed when we meet up and rub up against their brokenness and their sin. You see this in Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve are in the garden, God is the center of the world, and then all of a sudden they move God to the sidelines, make themselves the center, and then brokenness enters the story. Sin enters the story. And then you see when when God is talking to the woman, He says this, He says, his part of the, the, the curse, his part of the fall is that your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now that sounds like part of the curse is that women, you would desire your husband. That's not what that means. Okay, that's a good thing. If, you, if you're a woman, I'm not going to desire you. Why? Because that's in Genesis 3, 15. I'm not supposed to do that. And you don't rule over me. You're like, go to the very, very next chapter to find out what we mean by this word desire. Verse 6 says, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? 
And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, listen to this, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So what God is saying is, listen, this, this complementary relationship now is going to be defined by tension, conflict. Anybody here married? Hands up. Hands up. A few of you are like, man, if I put that hand up, conflict. <laughs> Trying to avoid conflict. Okay. If you've been married for three seconds, okay, young people, you're going to go on your honeymoon and you're going to think it's all bliss and it is great. But you're going to experience conflict even in your honeymoon. You're going to be like, what is this rubbish? I didn't sign up for this. You were supposed to be exactly how I thought you would be. And you were supposed to be exactly how I thought you'd be. I thought you were going to serve all of my needs. Well, I thought you were going to serve all of my needs. Conflict. I thought that we're going to get the toothpaste and we're going to push it from the bottom and it's going to get squeezed up. You squeeze it from the top and that's all. I hate you. (laughs) This is over. Irreconcilable differences. conflict young people wanting to experience marriage know this that in the beginning opposites attract and later on opposites attack this is how marriage works but here is the good news not only are we limited beings and broken beings we are moldable beings this is good news because this means I can accept my limitations I can say yes and admit my brokenness, but I also have hope that God can redeem me, change me, like transform me from the inside out. So whilst we can experience conflict in our relationship, there is hope there that if we keep following the master, he will change us and make us like his son. And so there is hope for my spouse and I because I am following Jesus, she is following Jesus and we're seeking to follow Him. And that Jesus in which we serve promises to never leave us, never forsake us, never quit on us. He will continue to make us like His Son Jesus. I love in this story with Rachel, and I'll move a little bit quicker so we can finish up here, but essentially if you read from 12 all the way down to sort of 19, what you see is that this servant, He's not, he's not just looking for someone who is beautiful on the outside, although he says that about Rachel, uh, Rebecca, but he's actually looking for someone who has character on the inside. So he kind of prays this prayer to God, like, God, this is, I don't know who it is, I don't know who it's supposed to be, but if she would be the person who would come and serve and offer water and then would also do that for my camels... Like, this is someone who's going over and above. What, what he is saying is, listen, I'm looking for the person who's following God and wants to be like God. If you want an awesome relationship, whether that be with friends that are close or whether that be spouses, there is nothing, I'm telling you now, there is nothing more beautiful than two people who follow Jesus because Jesus changes people and makes them beautiful. The man I was 20 years ago is not the man Carly married. Praise be to God. She is not the woman I married. She is far better, far more beautiful. And the goal is we're going to get to 80 and 90 and we're going to look each other in the eye, maybe without teeth, but in the eyes, we're going to look at each other and be like, you are a better version of the one I married. I'm so glad I married you because you look more like Jesus to me. And Jesus is the most beautiful image that I want to look at. So we are moldable. And here throughout this story, you just see 
over and over and over again, this emphasis on servanthood and character. Now, culture says, don't look at the inside of a person. Look on the outside and see what you can get from the outside. And the Christian worldview says the outside does matter. It's not unimportant. It's not like we, we kind of find somewhere like, oh, you're gross. Let's get married. Okay, it's like, no, no. We, there is an attraction that is on the outside. We look at each other and there, there is some sort of attraction. Now, some of you are asking, you don't know why Carly's attracted to me. That's okay. <coughs> That's her deal. Okay. But what the Bible says is, listen, don't just look at the outside. Because the outside diminishes over time. But the inside can increase. The character of a person, the nature of a person. So this story shows us that this Rebecca woman is attractive on the outside, but she's even more beautiful on the inside. And that beauty will only ever increase. And so I just want to say a couple of things and then we'll finish up. To those of us in the room that are single, I want to encourage you, it's not who you marry. It's what you marry. You are taught to find the one. Lots of people have asked Carly and I, like, how did you know you were the one? I just say, she was the only one who I had a chance with, so I took it. <laughs> She's the only one who I had. I was like, man, I somehow conned her. All right, marry me, baby. You're the only girl I've ever found that actually likes me. Uh, no, what, what I often say is, no, 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 God is the one. And as you look to God to always be your one, look to the side and see if there's a two. And then our battle is constantly not making each other the one, but making God the one. And we fight for that and we keep going for that. And we need to both know that, hey, you are not my ultimate priority. God is. And that actually kicks us up into gear that says, okay, we, are you praying? Are you talking? Are you reading? Are you worshiping? How's your walk with the Lord? You know, like, shut up. It's going great. I'm a pastor. It's awesome. <laughs> so singles, don't just think about the outside don't just look at someone who you find physically attractive find someone who you think is spiritually attractive because you will find that that beauty will outshine the physical beauty anyway married people some of us in this room right now we're married but we're not happy we're struggling can i just say start putting god back as your priority start worshiping god again Follow Jesus, encourage one another in how you can do that. Listen, I've seen marriage after marriage after marriage that has had many a problem. Get their eyes back on Jesus and both two people get their eyes back on Jesus and they fall in love again. I've seen it. I've seen people with sexual histories in their marriage come back together and go, but we're going to focus on God because God can redeem all things and God does. And they can experience this joy-filled marriage again. And if you've been married for a little while, this is something we do over and over and over. Carly and I do a check-in at the beginning of every single year. How are we? Where do we need to grow this year? What is the plan? How are we going to attack that? And every year you come back and you're just this little bit better. You're just this little bit better. Just, okay, she is and I'm not and she's bringing me along. But you get the point, right? She's dragging me. You can do better. You, 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 you can do better. Okay. Make God your master then understand who God is making you to be. And the story, and we're going to finish here, I'll finish early. God is basically making us to be like his son. And so whether you are in a marriage, or whether you are single, or whether you are divorced, or whether you are experiencing same-sex attraction, 
whether you're experiencing gender dysphoria, wherever you are in this room, God promises to redeem you, change you, transform you. Let him make you be who you are. Follow him. Work with that. And at the end of the day, no matter what's going on around you, you can know that you are saved by God, loved by God, changed by God, secure in God, and you can enjoy God. And if you enjoy those things, you will start to enjoy the friendships, you'll start to enjoy the family, you'll start to enjoy the spouse that God has given you. So God is molding us and transforming us. And that is the hope. Philippians 1.6 says, and I think it's one of the great verses that I love, is that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So if you're married right now and you're struggling, don't give up hope. God can and God will restore you. Put your focus on him. If you're in the room and you're divorced and you're, you're feeling like you are broken and hurting, turn your eyes to Jesus. He can redeem and restore. And you are not a second-class Christian. You're not a second-class person because of your experience. If you're here and you're single and you don't have a spouse, you're not a second-class person or a second-class Christian. We're all the same. God is bringing us towards this end to be like His Son. So let's get on that journey together. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others. But please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.